Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. There's something. Now wait. Now let me get, let me get Tim connected again. This, see, it's. Now, now it works. Whatever would you do? I don't. I see. I don't understand. Okay, so this, this machine. Now that we're now that we're on the new one, every time I turn around, the settings reset themselves. They decide, no, I'm not going to stay connected to that microphone, and no, I'm not going to stay connected to that sound card, and right. you can't make me. <laughs> and I have to go back in, and I have to redo everything, so... Well, you know, it's a young system, and they're willful when they're young. Tell me about it. All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And uh, there, it, was not, it was not a mistake. It was not a fluke of what you saw earlier. There is the newest additions to the studio. Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. We talked about this. We did an unboxing today, live from the bunker. And um, Spock has been here forever. Uh, this is, this is uh, as I was talking this morning, this was, this was the, the figure that I had probably since about 1976. And uh, he's, he has sat over on the set of Tribble Bites, but he's been behind the Star Trek lunchbox because up until today he was missing his pants. <laughs> don't don't ask me. I my working don't theory Don't ask him any questions, no, folks. He won't have to tell you any lies. My working theory has been that Spock and McCoy, because I have McCoy's head somewhere and the McCoy body is pants gone. Him? Is that what you're saying? My my working theory, as I go through this and think about this and talk about this, I'm thinking somewhere in the past they encountered a dog. Mm. And what I'm thinking probably happened, maybe, is that the dog got to McCoy, which is why McCoy only I only have McCoy's head now, and that's probably where Spock's pants went to. I don't know. It's been so long. But... Uh, over the last week, uh, as I'm going through, I went through uh, on eBay and rounded up some various pieces and parts. And this is, you know, for the first time in forever, Spock is actually complete. And now the only thing that I'm missing is another equipment belt for Kirk. Because I needed. I, I just need to get a, a phaser communicator belt and then Kirk will be finished. So I, I'm very pleased with myself because... Wasn't there tricorders you know, that came with them? Well, so you, you can see Spock's got his. I see a communicator. Oh, oh, yes, he does. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And funnily enough, I had to, I had to like I said, I've got I had to mix and match because the uniforms came from one source along with the tricorder the 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 exploration pack the belt the equipment belt came from another source and kirk without any uniform at all came from another source so i was like okay well i need this all started because i wanted to find pants for spock <laughs> like okay well here's pants but here's a kirk uniform and a tricorder well i don't have a kirk oh here's a kirk who doesn't have a uniform. It, it was almost like it was just fated to, to happen. So, so that's, that's been my, my weekend putting, you know, getting, 
getting all of this put in, and we, we unboxed this morning during Live from the Bunker. I, I managed to get an entire hour's worth of show on unboxing this. This is, how, this is why unboxing, how unboxing videos became so popular, yeah. because if you can stretch it out <clears throat> for an hour and then just do another <laughs> one, it, all you're doing is you're unboxing a thing. Production value, production time, and, and work on that is a lot shorter. Yep. But I got to say, it's it's one of those things where um, it's it's nagged at me for so long that it the pieces are missing, you know. Yeah. And the older I get, the more I recognize the value of having something completely intact from the collectability standpoint of things. I mean, they're not mint in the box, but. Um, you know, it's, and these are the figures with, um, with the, the plastic hinges instead of the metal hinges that they replaced them with because the early figures had plastic in the knees and the elbows and the articulation joints and they have a tendency to fail. So they ended up replacing them with metal in the later things. These are actual 1974. This is this is these are originals, and I'm I'm very happy with uh, with having them now. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd like to actually go through and and get the appropriate matching uh, Farscape figures for my John Crichton here. <laughs> um, there's a, a an Aaron Sun um, figure that is really either hard to find or expensive when you find it yeah um that uh i don't want the one where she's got the whole um it's the mutating ep the episode where she mutates i want the other one uh with the with the coat but well it is funny because uh sonia is you know one of the, one of the people who is a fairly regular viewer of, of various different shows and she gets on there day. She's like, the one time that I get on here, I'm able to watch live, and you're playing with dolls. <laughs> <laughs> they're not dolls. She asked her husband about it. He said, no, they're action figures. <laughs> but of course. But they are. But see, the thing about it is, though, the 8-inch the, the Migos were the precursor to the action figures that everybody is used to, you know, the Star Wars and the G.I. Joes and all that other stuff, because... They didn't make the three and three quarter inch, four inch figures yet. They didn't oh, no, come those... with, you know, that that came through the Star Wars and, and that group. But before that, you had eight inches and then the G.I. Joes were 12 inches tall. They were the big right. ones. So it's it's um, an evolution. Well, and I grew up with the G.I. Joes and the Johnny West figures. Yeah. Johnny West, Captain Maddox. Um, Action Man is another one. Yeah, sure, sure. So that that's that's a so that's our digression for the night. Uh, it is not what we are going to be talking about, but I just thought I would share because it's a way for me to promote live from the bunker, which is the other show that we have. Sure. Um, so let me do this here. Okay. So now what we are talking about tonight is Don Bluth. Yeah. And for some of an age. You'll recognize that name. Others, you may recognize his work, but maybe not his name. I I did get a little bit of a kind of sideways cocker spaniel from <laughs> Mrs. Boss. She's like, I don't recognize names. I recognize titles. I mean, she's got the secret of them, and she's you know worn sure. it out. So, you know, people would recognize some of the things that Don Bluth has been involved in. The Sword in the Stone, Anastasia, uh, American Tale, um, The Land Before Time. I mean, these, these are the things that he's known for. Mm -hmm. And even in the, the world of video games, you have Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, which are, right. you know, the penultimate. They were, they were, they were fabulous video games at the time you're like i can't believe he's doing this what is that's don bluth because i remember walking in i guess it was i want to say it was a chuck e cheese oh, yeah okay so the arcade is there 
And I remember walking in and it was, I think we were there on a class trip or school. You know, we rewarded ourselves because we did well or something. And I remember walking in and there was this crowd of kids around the middle section in this in the arcade. And I was like, well, what are they, what are they looking at? Mm. You know, there's, and, and I'm looking and up above, up top is a video screen. And there's Dirk the Daring on the cartoon. I'm thinking, right? That that looks like Don Bluth animation. What's that doing there? You know, and it's just the first thing. And I get in there and I realize this is a video game that's using animation for cutscenes, which at the time was unlike anything else you had seen. Yeah, nobody had done it before. Nobody had done it before. It was completely unexpected. Um, it was brand new technology and, you know, it, it, laser discs, you know, like, what, how are they right. doing this? You know, uh, now for those of you who are too, who are not old enough to remember these games, it also made them the most expensive video game to play in the arcade. <clears throat> yes. These games were, you know, your, your quarter cast your mind back to the little <laughs> You know, to the, to the time when literally you would go down to the video, now video arcades are, there are a lot of places. Um, and unfortunately, we just lost one of them here. Um, uh, Tapcade down in uh, downtown, unfortunately. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, we're I'm friends with the uh, with the guys who run that. And unfortunately, they had to shut down. Just it's, it's like so many small businesses right now. They're struggling during, um, you know, COVID restrictions. Uh, but it was a movie theater and a restaurant and a small video arcade. Probably, I don't know, a dozen, 20 games. Um, but there are several places here in town that have gone with the retro thing for video games. So obviously, you know, a lot of people are still playing them. But back in the day, you'd go down and you'd have your quarters and you'd basically plop the quarter into the video game machine, just like right. you do now. But games like, uh, you know, there were there were only a handful of games that were more than a quarter. Uh, yeah, there were and, there were a few that were seventy five cents, fifty cents, but you know mm -hmm. that was that was the range. And then there was Dragon's Lair, right? <laughs> Which I seem to recall being a dollar fifty a game. Now that may not be that a sounds that range. sounds right a dollar fifty dollar seventy five somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was a significant, uh, and of course, like in any good video game, your odds of dying early were <laughs> pretty good. So that could be a very quickly spent dollar fifty. Um, but still, it was worth it. Uh, yeah. it, it was the you, people people would get in line. And this, of course, was back in the day when you'd actually have people standing around watching somebody. You know, the, the modern version, of course, is watching someone play a game on YouTube, you know, or, or their Discord stream or whatever. Um, but back then, of course, you had this like crowd yeah. uh, around the game. The Star Wars games often got a lot a crowd there, too. The Mortal Kombat games got a crowd. Um, but before those, before both of those, there was... There's Dragon's Lair. <laughs> I'm going to let me let me pull up an image here because, uh, and the reason the reason that we have a couple of uh, of things to talk about here is because it's coming back. Uh, let me throw this here. This is for those of you who are not aware. This is Dirk the Daring, uh, the main protagonist in the game Dragon's Lair. And he is also going to be the lead character of Dragon's Lair, the movie. And we're very excited about that because Don Bluth is involved in that project. They are well, doing... It's not, it's not an animated film. No, it's live action. Um, and I heard... Check me on this. I had heard that they're, they're looking at Ryan Reynolds to play Dirk the Daring. Is that right? He's yeah, that is correct, that. and and I'm okay with that casting. There's a certain there's a certain resemblance there that actually works. I'm yeah, I think it's I think it can I think it can work pretty well. Um, Not to mention, there's a humor to the game that <laughs> um, I think fits into his wheelhouse. Yeah, the kind of humor we've come to expect from him. I mean, it it'll be, I'm pretty sure it'll be a little less sweary, uh, but. <laughs> um, 
I think it's he's got the he's got the right uh, uh, comedic chops for it. Right. Now, one of the one of the reasons why we're talking about this now because there's a lot of other stuff that's going on. I mean, we could talk about um, various different things, but um, the the thing that caught my attention was this announcement over on the Facebook page for Don Bluth Studios, which is a new Don Bluth Studios. It's not the one that he's had before. This is a brand new one that he's doing with Lavelle Lee, who's an, who's an animator. And they are getting ready to launch new animation projects, new traditional 2D animation projects. And they're going to start with a book which okay uh but it's a new thing called bluth fables and it's to read the the description here it's basically going to be don bluth has drawn has written and drawn and has narrated uh, a new set of stories and what they're going to do is they're going to put them together in a in a in a book as a placeholder while they work up new animation projects. Mm-hmm. So you'll have this, and at some point down the road, they very well could animate these into short films. But now the thing is, we're getting new material from Don Bluth. Which is fantastic. Well, I think that for for younger audiences who don't necessarily realize um, what why that might be a a really cool thing for a lot of people. <clears throat> Certainly, if Secret of Nim, if you if you've seen it, whether you know, odds are good um, you either watched it when you were a kid or your parents showed it to you. Uh, at this point, I mean, it's, it's been around long enough uh, that, uh, let's see, what was that, 70, oh, I'm sorry, 82. Um, so what, I was, you and I were 12 yeah. when that came out. <laughs> so, you know, it's odds are good. You, like I said, you watched it when you were a kid or you watched it, uh, your parents showed it to you. But that film had a huge impact on people. No matter what age, it's an, it's children. It's it's a children's story. In the air quotes here, if you're just listening to the show, um, that didn't treat children as if they were fragile, uh, because it's, uh, many many children were terrified by that movie. Yeah, uh, the owl uh, filled many a nightmare uh, for a quite a while for a lot of kids. I mean, it's, it's, it's really dramatic, uh, uh, very ominous imagery. And of course, it's a very, it's a, it's a scary story. Uh, and certainly while there are plenty of, there's, I'm, not, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with kids films that are light and airy and, and aren't design, you know, aren't, aren't scary, but there is something about this film just leaning into, you know, the darker visuals and, and really just going, okay, it's okay to be scary right now. Um, that made an impact. I think, I think that some of it is that it, kids seem to appreciate, and I know I certainly did, being treated as if you could take it. When yeah. you, I mean, you, you were, you, you, they trusted that you knew, um, and it's not for everybody, of course, but I mean, you, so a lot of kids trusted that you knew that the scary bits were, you know, part of the story. Well, and according to IMDb, uh, Don Bluth, it's it's attributed to him that he has said that the, the kids can handle the scary as long as there's a happy ending. It's basically, right. you know, you can't have the you know you can't have an appreciation for the sunlight unless you have clouds type of of analogy. So you know well, you could lean you. into the darker sure. as long as you know you come out the other side and everything's okay. Well, and a lot of fairy tales, and of course, we raise kids on fairy tales from a very young age. Yeah, a lot of fairy tales, not even leaving aside the extremely dark origins of most of the <laughs> ones that we tell our kids, which are super sanitized now. But even then, even the ones that are sanitized have a lot of darkness to them. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of teaching kids, you know, the 
you know, good versus evil, right versus wrong through that kind of storytelling anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this was, this was a really, a really groundbreaking film for a lot of people. Now, it's not a great adaptation of the book. It's a, the, if, you're, if you've ever read The Secret of Him, the novel, and watched the, the film, you know they're very, very different. But we've talked about on this show that that's something that just happens when you change things from one format to another. Yeah. Um, they both stand on their own in different ways. And the, bo- uh, and so the book you... is actually called Mrs. Frisbee and Mrs. the Rats Frisbee. of Nib, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's a great book. I mean, I highly recommend it, but don't go in thinking that it's the same as the movie because they're, they're, they're quite different. Uh, but they both have strengths. And I encourage you to check them out if you haven't seen them. But this was a film that really, I mean, I think it's cemented in our minds for those of us who are of that age or, the, or their parents showed it to them. Um, a certain, if you weren't already in love with animation, and you know, most kids are at a fairly early age, um, but really just seeing what you could do with it. So by the time you get to our teens and video games are suddenly having animated cutscenes, it's like, you know, the twin, the twin uh, hit of both playing the cool video game, but also you got the nostalgia hit because you recognize that art style. Yeah. Because Bluth had a very recognizable art style. Um, and he did variations within it, but um, you can generally tell his work. Yeah. Well, and, and the sparkly, the gold sparkly is a, is a hallmark of his. But you can def- definitely tell just the style of a Don Bluth picture. If you look at anything that he did, I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Brisby here kind of bears a little bit of a resemblance to Fievel from an American tale. Mm-hmm. You know, you can definitely see that same DNA in the animation. And, sure. you know, you go back and you look at some of the other, some of the other stuff that they did, just the movement and the rotoscoping and the type of, of, you know, where all of the different points of articulation are for the for the different characters, uh, he's got a very distinct style. You can look. Um, uh, what uh, uh, the Great Mouse Detective? I think is another one of his. Uh, and even even in the Disney stuff that Bluth did, like the Rescuers, you can definitely see his style uh, pretty prevalent in in all of that because he was the director of animation. He was in charge of of putting it all together. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where um, you can definitely see, you know, because Secret of Nim, the Rescuers, the, you, you, they all kind of look of a piece. It's almost like they could be in a shared universe of sorts. Well, and there was something recognizing there. I think that that it was a very effective animation style. Um, you know, American Tale, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, these are films that have been extremely successful. Now, this isn't to say he didn't have film. He had, he had a string of films that didn't do particularly well. Um, and, you know, Titan AE pretty much slammed the door on a big chunk of, of the big phase of his career. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because Titan AE was an interesting project because it, mer- it, it, it tried to wed both the hand-drawn animation and CG um, into something that <clears throat> it doesn't quite work, but it's an interesting movie to look at. Well, and especially given how early it was in the process of mixed media in terms of the animation oh, styles. It was 20 years ago. It was very innovative for its time. I could, mm-hmm. you know, But people didn't know what to think about it. Sure. Yeah, it was like, well, what is what is this thing? It's it was a it was a hybrid uh, to the point where people were not quite sure how to take it. And uh, it works, and Mm. it doesn't work. Right. But you know, the limitations of technology being the way it was, it worked a whole lot better than it probably should have. Well, and it's it's one of those things where I mean, there's there's some story issues with that film as well. It's not just the animation, um, you know. It, it, it's not something you can just sit there and drop at the the feet of Don Bluth and say, "Well, this is why it failed." Yeah. Um, there were a lot of things going on with that, and of course, two thousand. You know, there was we were at a weird we were at a weird point. So we the there are pros to doing computer animation. 
Um, you know, some of it is what you can do with it. Um, and, and the ability you can, you know, you get things like Jurassic Park when you've got computer animation, okay? You know, dinosaurs that look real that still hold up visually a little bit better than even some of the newer Jurassic Park films, you go back to the original, <laughs> yeah. because Spielberg recognized that if you blur the edges ever so slightly, you end up with something that your eye tells you is curving mm -hmm. in a way that it's not, but it tricks the eye. And I think that while the, the new, say, and just using Jurassic Park as an example, the new dinosaurs all look fantastic. They don't quite have that. They're too clean. They're a little too clean. And that's, yep. that's one of the things you run into with CGI is that um, there's a there's a sharpness and cleanliness to it, which has its pros and cons. Um, yep. The pros are, are, you know, you can do these amazing things, but the cons are is if you're not careful, you can end up with un Uncanny Valley. And we have never quite got to the point, although they're trying, they're trying really, really hard to get to the point where you can replace an actor uh, with a completely CG person. Um, but we haven't quite got to the point where they still they quite look right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm all right if we never quite get there. Um, Interesting. Okay. So I have to apologize here because apparently there has been an active conversation going on in the chat and i have not seen any of it in my control panel so uh ap apologies to everyone mm -hmm. let me mm -hmm. let me go through and look here real quick uh while tim vamps um mm -hmm. paula ritchie says don bluth has such a fantastic flowing active style so very extra animated animation um, that, yeah. Stratos Radio Blues, even though I'm not a fan of the writing, Anastasia still is the best 2D animated movie ever in a technical sense. Uh, mm. Benjamin in the chat uh, says hi. Let's see. Hi, so, uh, yeah, uh, Stratos Radio Blues, I remember Titan AE, liked it in theaters, and uh, it was at the beginning of the slightly edgy, purple haired female protagonist trend. <laughs> I, I don't remember about I, about that. Um, same thing happened with. Let's see. Uh, still need to read the book talking about Nim. Uh, rather a recurring theme with Bluth's work. We loved it so much as kids, but also these movies were not afraid to terrify us. Paula says. Um, because it's like you were saying, you know, you you can, you can, scare kids. You can you can take kids to a certain point mm -hmm. because kids are a whole lot smarter than than we give them credit for. I think, um, especially when dealing with grownups who are trying to fleece them. I guess you could say kids can pick up on that stuff pretty easily. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you can always tell. Uh, Bluth's work, and I'm I'm really wondering what he's got in store next. What it's what the next thing is going to look like? Because if Dragon Lair Dragon's Lair is going to be live action, uh, we haven't heard anything about Space Ace. If that's going to be anything, but what what could what could they be working on? What kind of stories in this day and age? Because Don Bluth is 82 years old. Well, I mean, when you consider the, consider the stuff that he's worked on in the past, I mean, we you know we have things like Titan A.E., Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Xanadu, Xanadu. Yeah, he did the animation for Xanadu. Uh, Pete's Dragon, The Rescuers, um, and this is stuff that he did, whether it was his studio or not. This is stuff that he just stuff that he'd worked on. Yeah. Um, you know, Fantastic Voyage, the TV series. He was a layout artist for that. So oh, there's yeah. a there's a blast from the past. Uh, but the, the one thing he's never been short on is imagination. And so whatever, whatever he's bringing out, um, the question is, is, is it going to appeal in this time when so much of this stuff is really... The CGI, you know, the, the, all the cool things you can do is CGI. Yeah. Is 2D animation, hand-drawn animation 
going to be something that appeals to people. And I think it will, to be honest. There's something about it. There's something about it that is timeless. It's the same so. reason you can show your kids Fantasia now or Snow White or Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny or things like that. You can see you know, the it's there's something about the animation that holds up over time. Um, mm. And it's a simplified kind of thing. Certainly it doesn't have, you know, it's not three dimensional, blah, 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 blah. But there's something about it that that still speaks to us on a visual level. So I think it's, you know. Well, and I think of, that's the, the smoothness of the movement. Because you look at some of the stuff they've got now, like She-Ra, the, the reboot of She-Ra, or Thundercats Roar, or Steven Universe, or any of the new stuff that, that Cal Arts look, for, for lack of a better word. You know, everything's, everything's made of rubber and their mouths are bean-shaped and everything. Yeah. There, there's a shortcut in that animation where they don't do as much of the in-betweens. And so it's, it, it's not as it's clunkier. And if they go that route and I, I don't imagine that they will, but if they do, then that would kind of defeat the purpose of doing this thing to begin with. So, well, yeah. And I would say so. I mean, because honestly, the, you know, there's a, there's a place, look, for every kind of animation there is, there's a place, there's a place for South Park, there's a place for The Simpsons, there's a place for Powerpuff Girls, there's a place for Steven Universe, there's a place for all this stuff, right? You know, there's, it, it's going to appeal to different audiences. But one of the things that, that Bluth was doing at the time is that he was one of those people who was still doing rotoscoping. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, so you would actually, you would tell your story twice, um, you'd film it with a live actor going through the motions and you'd animate on top of that and with your hand-drawn hand, hand -drawn animation. And so, yeah, you ended up with these beautifully smooth movements. How you got things like, you know, the, the classic Disney movies looking the way that they did is because there was a live human being who did that motions and they were filmed. And so you end up the same thing with, with Bluth. And so they did it for fluidity. Um, and you could end up with stylization with, with his style of animation, which obviously he did. He yeah. built a style that we recognize, but, and, and still have that, that smoothness of, of movement. You know what his style would work with? The Dark Crystal. You know what? Um, actually, when you were showing that clip from The Secret of Nim, yeah, I was thinking to myself, I want, now I want a Dark Crystal animated series from him. Right? That would or, be perfect. Or do a do another a, a new version of an animated The Hobbit for those who think that oh. the three hour the three the three film version took too long. Uh, you know, do a because I mean, if again, cast your mind back a million years ago, <laughs> there were animated versions of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and that was uh, what and, Ralph Ralph Bashke mm -hmm. did those, and and they were not necessarily great adaptations of the story but visually they were very interesting as a yeah. kid i thought they were visually just neat uh now as an adult i look at them and go okay i can see you had no budget <laughs> um especially in the lord of the rings ones now yeah. the hobbit one is actually really uh i think visually very very cool uh it's got it's condensed down a lot uh but give me that happy medium give me a the Hobbit's a relatively short novel, so mm -hmm. you know, give me give me an hour and a half Hobbit movie, and I'm probably going to be okay. Strato, Stratos Radio Blues. I would love if he did Pirates of Dark Water. That's a series that needs to be revisited. What's well, I, I'm not familiar with that one. Pirates of Dark Water. Have you heard of that um, one? I'm not. Uh, it sounds familiar, but I'm th I think I'm thinking of an anime series. That I'm not sure if that's right or not um if it if it's an anime series that i'm thinking of and i'm probably confusing it with something else it's one i haven't seen um so uh Pir pirates of dark there, water there's video games released for super nes and sega genesis oh um wait no wait 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 here's another thing the pirates of dark water american fantasy animated television series produced by hanna barbera Oh, 1991. Okay. okay, let me let me see if I can pull this up here. I might have missed that when I was in college. I've never heard of it. 
that could be something to, to, to well and you know i think that there's there's a lot of old video game stuff that listen know, listen to the cast of this yeah george newburn who played okay. su- played superman in justice league jody benson who was ariel and the little mermaid jim cummings who is currently mm-hmm. winnie the pooh and ticker peter cullen Who's the voice of Optimus Prime? Right. Tim Curry. But of course. Frank Welker. Hector Elizondo and Brock Peters. And uh, somebody, Earl Bowen. I don't know Earl Bowen. Uh, oh, 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 okay. Earl, Earl Bowen. He played, he played the psychologist in Terminator. Oh, okay. You recognize him, but you don't know his name. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting. I'll ha- we'll have to look at this. Show first premiered on Fox Kids early 1991 as a five-part miniseries. Huh. Also had uh, Roddy McDowell in it for a little bit. Um, oh, Frank Frank Welker replaced Roddy McDowell apparently when it went to series. Thirteen episodes mm-hmm. aired on ABC. That uh, we'll have to we'll have to take a look at that. That's a great cast. That's a great voice. Cast. Pirates of Dark Waters from D- David Kirshner, the creator. Action adventure fantasy, so maybe kind of a D and D type of story. We'll have to look. Uh, we have will check that out. Here's an image. I, know, I do know that that uh, Escape to Which Mountain he did the titles on. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I've never seen it, but I've seen the art. I've seen the uh, that before. I've never seen the show though. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul, Paul had said earlier, 2D speaks to the human mind and eye. CGI creates as a camera lens, but it's not quite the same as the analog, what human minds perceive. There's, there is something, and then this is something that we had talked about, because we did a whole episode on CG versus practical effects mm. uh, a while back. And you get the same kind of thing with CG versus uh, traditional animation as well, because... It's a matter of shading. It's a matter of textures. Sometimes you can overdo it. You can overbake. Right. And that's when it starts, when you're talking about the uncanny valley and it starts to look a little unrealistic. One of the things that I'd noticed uh, early on with some of these new super ultra HD video screens is that we're back to that flat Mm-hmm. super sharp video look as opposed to the the denser layers that make it look like film. And with CG, and and, and this is something that I even do in, in my work with green screen, uh, especially with photographs. If you're blending, and like you're saying, it's around it's the edges that do it. If you're if your edges are too sharp, if they're too clean, if they're too, you know, jagged it completely blows the illusion. Mm-hmm. And it's just something about CG that if you don't do it just right, and by just right, you do it just enough, but not too much, you could just completely blow the, the, the audience out of the water because they're looking at what's wrong because their brain picks up on the fact that it's something's wrong, but I don't know what. And right. they, and they, now- and they just, it gets them. You mostly see that when you're combining CG with live action. If the entire film is CG, if it's all in its own con- contained universe, then it's less of an effect that we, you know, that, that really bothers you. It's when you try to do something where you try to make it photorealistic to the point where, you know, it could be, you know, it's, it's supposed to look like real life. Films like the Polar Express or, oh, uh, for heaven's sakes, what was the... Final Fantasy, the Final Fantasy. Oh, right, right. Yeah, all um, that motion capture stuff. Yeah, and it, the thing is, is that they're, they're good-looking movies. They're, I mean, te- technically, you can admire the skill that goes into actually making that stuff look like that. But there is that sense that it's not quite right. Yeah. And you think that if you saw that person on the street, you'd probably want to turn and run away in terror because they're about <laughs> to split open and, you know... <laughs> A portal to another dimension is going to be there. <laughs> I mean, it's just they just don't look; they're they're not right for the eyes. And with two D animation, of course, because it has that 
you know, it's, it's the opposite end of the spectrum. There's, there's no, even when you draw someone who looks like, you know, the, the Disney films where they were a large part kind of going for a kind of photorealism, uh, you know, a little smoothed out sort of exaggerated, but I mean, the idea that Snow White was supposed to look like a, she looked like a girl, you know, um, and it wasn't, she wasn't a cartoon girl. She was, it was a girl who happened to be a cartoon. I mean, you could, you, there's, there's an attempt to make them look like people without being an exaggerated cartoon style. Um, although there was certainly plenty of that in those films, but um, your, your brain doesn't have that reaction. That uh, doesn't have that creepy reaction. Isn't to say you can't make creepy 2D animation. There's, there's been plenty of that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a scene in All Dogs Go to Heaven. It's all kinds of nightmare fuel. Um, <laughs> I will not spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. But. Yeah. Stratos Radio Blues says, I'm one of four people on this planet who love Final Fantasy Spirits Within. And, you know, the, the animation, I remember when this came out. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and when the movie came out, we, you know, Ming-Na is doing the, the lead voice. And it was, oh, hey, this is a fairly impressive cast. And I never went and saw it because I went, I'm not into video games. But you can see here, I mean, this computer-generated animation is not quite perfect. It's not quite... The, there you... is something missing, but it's really close. And I remember when this came out, being fairly impressed uh, with some of the footage that I saw because the movement was really kind of, it, it was, it was smooth and it was, it was believable enough. You knew it was a video game you know, animation and stuff, but it was done really well and it wasn't overdone. Well, if you look at that, you look at that and when you consider when that film came out, um, it, that level of animation is better than some of the stuff you're getting from really, really brand new video games now. Yeah. And there's some fantastic uh, animation with, with a lot of these video games. Um, and admittedly, there's a difference between the budget of a feature film and video game development. Uh, I think we are, we've, we've heard plenty about how, you know, a lot of video game developers aren't actually getting paid what the job is worth for the hours they work. Uh, so, uh, and, and unfortunately a lot of, a lot of companies go under because it's not a good, you know, it, it can be a real challenge to make that a profitable uh, cost and margin. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's really impressive animation for the time, but there was just something about the eyes and the mouth that didn't quite work. Um, and I think that we're, we're more accepting of that. I think that now, if this had come out now, I think a lot of people, because we've been primed by a lot of video game play and, and a lot of other animated things, because it's really impressive technically. Oh, sure, yeah. And I think that people would probably have reacted to it better. The other problem that film had is that it was a significant departure from the Final Fantasy games, which were much more fantasy-based. Uh, yeah. And this was very much a science fiction film, so I think that was uh, something that the you had a you had a twofer. You had Uncanny Valley and a departure from the source material in a way that, um, you know, but I think you know again it's it's really quite an impressive uh, thing when you consider how far that we have come in terms of CGI. Um, you know, Max Headroom. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're, we're light years from Max Headroom as much as I love the yeah. original Max Headroom stuff. Um, and, you know, the idea about things like Tron, you know, or all these different, you know, these things that were like on the edge. Oh, gosh. Uh, the animated scenes in Alien, the animated scenes in, you know, the computer, what, what computer animation there has been in, in science fiction and, and some of the other stuff that is really just... You know. Well, and at the time, Tron was bleeding edge. I mean, it was something that had never been done before. And, and you know, they're rendering, they're using a Cray computer to render out the animations. So, Oh, yeah, Lawnmower Man. Lawnmower uh, man. Yeah, so we tried to forget Lawnmower Man was a thing. <laughs> I, well, how, do you, how do you have... 
Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey <laughs> and you make a film that forgettable. <laughs> well, I think, and that's, that's one of those, I think that's one of those times where you have the technology, the gadgets, the gee whiz overpowers the story and the performances. The prequel, sure. the Star Wars prequels kind of did that in some areas where, you know, Lucas, Lucas suborned the story for the, the gizmo technology to tell the story. And you had so much CG and so much of the of the computer animation, all the all the green screen stuff and the virtual sets and whatnot, that the story kind of gets lost in the soup. And I think Lawnmower Man was probably another one of those where you have well, you have Lawnmower that, well, it, it, but, it had a host of problems, not not least of which is do not attempt to take a Stephen King short story, which is <laughs> I don't know ten pages, maybe that long, probably not even that long that is got nothing to do with computers and then yeah. sit there, you know, but uh, there are, there's, okay. So here's, here's something that, that when I was, we were talking about this, uh, we talked about this a little while ago, but also it, it plays into now the live action spawn movie with its CG cape and its CG, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, when, when they go to hell, um, versus the animated series, the uh, was it the HBO series, yeah. which was was know, that was that CG or was that two uh, traditional two D? I'm pretty sure it was traditional two D. Someone can correct me on that, but it certainly looked like it. Uh, and and of course, that's one of the advantages of, of CG is that you can make really cool two D animation with CG. You can speed up the process because, of course, hand drawn uh, animation takes a while. Uh, because it's you know it's people doing cell after cell after cell after cell after cell. I mean it's a it's a layering process. But you look at that and it's got a very distinct style and you know you can you can play with the stylization of a character and certainly a character like Spawn, which is supposed to be you know the character should be scary, should have these ominous images. Yeah. That's really a, it's you can do that with two D. And 3D animation as a stylized form, but when you're trying to bring it with live action, uh, something about, and again, the technology at the time, something like his cape just never looked quite right. And I wasn't afraid of the hell that he went to. I was kind of like, I'm pretty sure that if you pull a plug somewhere, this all goes away. (laughs) (laughs) So, but um, I seem to recall there was a Jeff Bridges... I want to say it was a Dean Koontz adaptation that Jeff Bridges was in where the, at the end they go to hell or the villain goes to hell. And it was like, after this really kind of interesting movie, suddenly you're dropped into this really terrible CG scene and it can really throw you out of it. Uh, it's like, okay, the pixels have exploded. <laughs> um, would that be phantoms? Yeah, no. Well, no. So phantoms is another one. Um, phantoms, um, well, according to, you know, Kevin Smith, it's the bomb, but, uh, actually, uh, <laughs> I actually enjoyed phantoms. It's a bad movie. Uh, but it's a, it's an enjoyable bad movie, but no, it's, um, it had some CG and some practical effects in it too. So it's, it's a mixed bag. It had some serious story problems, but anytime you have Peter O'Toole, um, you know, even even in bad films, Peter O'Toole makes them good. Yeah. Uh, just because you get to watch Peter O'Toole. It's here. It's all around us. <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff like that. Um, yeah, you know, um, I think that the one of the things that the animated series, and could start us in the chat here, um, the animated series was really impressive but there were some some drawbacks to it um but i think in comparison to the live action version um you know it it was light years ahead now i don't know that you actually need a plot to your stories i mean that's asking a lot of storytelling (laughs) there have been there have been plenty of films that have uh you know uh, seemed to think that you can get away with cool visuals Um, the star wars prequels I think for a lot of people felt that felt that way. Um, 
And I think that you run into that where anytime you think that you can, if you can, you can only wow the audience for with visuals for so long um, before they're going to actually want to want to have something going on with the story. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's the, <clears throat> one of the advantages of 2D animation is that the wow factor isn't there as much as there is the, um, not, it's not the same wow factor because there can be a, certainly be a wow factor to 2D animation. Yeah. Uh, getting, getting a feature film from, from Don Bluth is, is going to be a wow thing. You know, that's, that's just going to be really, really cool because there's just something about that style that really speaks to people. Um, well, and I think you can, you can do a lot with 2D that you, you maybe don't even expect that you can do with 2D because, you know, CG being all of the textures and the shadows and the, and the wraparounds and stuff. But with 2D, yeah, and we even see you, you go back to Beauty and the Beast, for example. Mm. A lot of the location stuff in the forest where you have, you know, th this layer of trees and this layer of trees and this layer of trees, and that layer of trees and that layer of trees. And everything is moving back and forth because the way they used to do it is they'd have the camera back here and they'd have all of these different layers of the backgrounds on glass, mm -hmm. painted on glass. And th it would all move in sync to the timing of whatever it is they were trying to animate. So it wasn't necessarily the cells, you know, flip, 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 like your traditional cell an animation. But it was still an animated movement because you had these painted layers of background image, the matte paintings, as it were. And they right. were moving. And then the camera was moving while this stuff was moving. And so you get that that depth, even with traditional 2D, that you it you still the eye doesn't quite catch it when you're looking at 3D CG stuff. Yeah, and I think I think there's just something about the way that we perceive animated images versus live action that Again, I mean, there's there's so many cool things you can do with CGI. There's this is not this is not to bash CGI because there's, you know, there's a place the ability, for it. Yeah, there's 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 so much really we've been able to do cool things with you know the ability, you know, the, when they cracked animating water, and it hair. was such a huge deal. Oh yeah, because suddenly you could actually have you know you could do. It's for as much as as much as I have issues with it. You can do something like Titanic. You know, I have issues with the CG in Titanic. I think a lot of it is doesn't hold up over time. But at the time, the fact that they were able to crack water and make it work, because water is incredibly difficult to animate with a computer. Same yeah. thing with fire, really, to get it right. Um, and our we don't mind it not looking perfect, re completely realistic on a two D animation. There's a stylization to two D animation that's built in that we all just accept, um, no matter what the style is, whether it's, again, like The Simpsons or, or South Park or Steven Universe or, or whatever, the, whatever the, the particular style that they're using, you know, um, we accept it in a way that, that CG that isn't quite there yeah. isn't acceptable to our eyes. So we don't process it right. Sergeant Wag in the chat mentions uh, Ray Harryhausen would would tell you you still need to plot your stories. It was mentioning this movie called Fire and Ice, which is an animated picture from 1983 that Harryhausen was a producer on, and it looks, I mean, it it looks like your typical traditional 2D cell animation. But look at this. Mm -hmm. And this. You know, this this kind of gives me a, a metal harlot vibe almost, mm, you know, yeah. heavy metal. But Frank yeah. Fr Frank Frazetta was involved in this project as well as Ray Ray Harryhausen. Always. So I'm all like, well, and one of the things that you saw with a lot of 2D animation, especially when you got into fantasy films, is because you would you really only had to have the figures move. And so yeah. you're, and you saw this, you saw this in anything from Bugs Bunny to Thunder the Barbarian to Scooby-Doo. 
the backgrounds could be relatively static as the figures in front were moving. So you could end up with these really great backgrounds. There were these gorgeous, like soup, you know, just really detailed paintings. And then if your budget wasn't very big, <laughs> your characters in front, you know, had no, you know, they were very flat. Yeah. Um, but again, you can, and, and some of that just comes down to the technical restrictions and, and, and cost and time. But then you have something like, uh, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that Bluth did where you would actually have, um, there'd be a, there'd be more of a parody, parity with a yeah. T, not parody, between um, the backgrounds and the foregrounds. So as you see, it's especially with something like Secret of Nim. Well, and characters are so rich. You stop and think about how much he brings to the table, just in the depth of experience and knowledge that he's got in traditional two D techniques. Oh, no kidding! And marry that with the digital technology that is now available through the use of computers and you don't, you know, your in-betweens are almost going to take care of themselves. If you know, if you bother to do them, you know, Shira looking at you. Um, but if you, if you have all of the principles of Don Bluth's gobs of years of experience, and you put cutting edge technology down, not even not even bleeding edge, but just the stuff that's available now, mm-hmm. even if right. even if it's just off the shelf, the stuff that he's going to be able to do, the stuff his team is going to be able to do, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of that studio. Oh yeah, and I am too. I mean, even even leading aside the nostalgia factor, because of course being of the age to grow up with his films. Um, the fact that it his stuff actually holds up in a way that not every piece of classic animation does. Yep. Uh, there's something to be said for the staying power of the early Disney movies in terms of still appealing to an audience. And he has that as well. Whether, whether the films were successful or not in the box office, the visuals still managed to hold up. And there's something to be said for somebody who can who can capture that because it's not easy. There's a there's a there's been quite a few animators out there who have not been able to pull that off or have done really fine work, but it hasn't necessarily stood the test of time or stuck in the imagination, even if it was really really good. No, this uh, is the Thief and the Cobbler animated oh, picture yeah. here. Uh, Stratus Radio Blues mentions it in the chat, and it it has a very distinct style. But again, mm-hmm. we're in we're in two D animation. There's a lot you can do with it. I mean, it's for me two D animation. The more the more depth you can put into the layers, and it's almost like Kurosawa, where you have you know various different layers where movement is happening in di- in different ways at different shapes. You have the lightning, and you have the the rain, and you have shadow, and you have background players and you have this going on here and the anim- animal right, going that right. way if if you're able to do that kind of thing then it it adds more overall to the visual and even if you're you're focused on the protagonist there's other stuff that's going on that actually gives it more verisimilitude if i could if i could invoke richard donner where it's it's that you you are able to get a little bit more immersed in the story as it were there's not anything you don't get distracted by out of the corner of your eye by something that just doesn't quite work sure yeah i it's it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what comes out of of Don Bluth Studios. Really looking forward to that. And we have sent an invitation. I will. I will mention this here. We have sent an invitation for uh, Don Bluth to join uh, in a conversation on Live from the Bunker. So hopefully we can get an hour with him at some point. I sent an email to Lavelle Lee this morning uh, when all of this news broke and said, "Hey, we've got this show. Let's talk." So we'll, well see. I think. I think one of the things that excites me is that. Maybe there's going to be a whole new generation of 2D animators 
who are going to come out of this because who, who won't be from Cal Arts. Well, I, and and I don't I don't you know this again this sort of not ever, not everything is going to appeal to everybody. But one of the things that I think I'm concerned about um, is that because 2D animation is not as easy as going you know 3D CGI. In terms of the technology, the 3D C, you know, CGI, the technology gets better and better. It makes it easier and easier for you to use. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But as somebody who has an art degree, somebody who knows how hard sequential art is, I'm not good at it. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, it's a skill. Uh, comic book artists, you know, the fact when they can make that stuff work, it's, it's really fantastic. But 2D animation, you know, I, I would hate to see it go away... I don't think it'll ever go away completely, but I'd hate to see it, compl- you know, step so far back from CGI. Yeah. In terms of in terms of use, um, that I uh, uh, I'm really excited about the fact that him training a whole new generation of artists, um, or at least inspiring another generation of 2D animation artists. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, speaking speaking of interviews. Um, let me see if I can find it here because I ran across this and I want to I want to mention this while while I've got you on uh, because uh, it's something that I think you and Dustin should probably discuss because we're talking about we're talking about you know the idea of of different um, people that we could have on as guests for the for mm-hmm. live from the bunker sure. because it's right. it's one hour it's a conversation interview. I ran across a mention of this video game called Tribble Troubles, which is kind of a, it's a Star Trek based thing. Sure. And it's designed, it's designed by a game developer named Dustin Adair. <laughs> huh. And I thought, wouldn't it be a hoot? To have Dustin interview Dustin? To get Dustin interview Dustin, yeah, so... It's uh, it one of those fun. things. It's kind of it's kind of funny. It, it's one of those. It's a it's something called Tribble Troubles, um, and and this is uh, he's this is this is I guess this is Adair talking about it and talking about the game, doing a demo somewhere. Uh, but he's got a he's got a little a little video game, and there's the Tribbles, and. You're playing as a triple, and see there, there's the, there's the, what is it, the glomer, uh, yeah, whatever that uh, is, yeah, the predator. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I think it would be fun to have Dustin interview Dustin. That's funny. I like that. <laughs> oh. Uh, so anyway, yep. All right. <laughs> So anyway, so there is that. We are looking forward to uh, to hearing more from Don Bluth and and seeing what Don Bluth Studios has uh, in store yeah. for us. So it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's exciting times. It's almost like we're back in the eighties again, right? Well, and, and we you know we and we've talked about this before. Um, we have to be careful, of course. Uh, too much. Too much nostalgia is not good for the soul. All right, uh, the you know the the world moves on and, and and things change. But training a new again, I I think training a new generation of artists um, who hopefully will develop their own styles, have their own develop their own uh, visual texture and 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 individuality that hopefully Bluth will help inspire them to do. Yeah. Considering he has his own, um, and hopefully they learn not just his but tell their own to have their own. The fact that this this kind of art form is going to stay around. Uh, and it's a, it's an active effort to do it. I think it's just really super cool. Well, and uh, and Paula in the chat says right now illustrating a children's book with a bear rolling on the floor laughing, and I'm borrowing from childhood memories of Bluth movies. There is there is definitely an an, an influence. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and and you know you should be. This is the kind of stuff, and then, and that's a testament right there to the quality of the work. It's still inspiring people twenty thirty years later. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that me- those memories. I mean, I'm never going to forget the owl. I'm from Secret of Nim. I'm just not. There's always going to be that that owl in the back of my mind, you know, with towering over me with glowing red eyes or glow, you know, yellow eyes. It was mm-hmm. how's that, you know? 
It's never going away, Jason. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, speaking of never going away, we are going away. Um, that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for us. We've got an hour. Uh, just do I want to remind everyone that we do have a ten percent discount set up over at superherostuff.com. I don't know if they have any secret of them stuff, but they do Ooh. have some other cool stuff. They've got uh, you know DC and Marvel and Star Wars and Star Trek and Doctor Who and Godzilla and Walking Dead and all that other stuff. Uh, Stratus Radio Blues gives us a, a ten dollars super chat. Uh, appreciate Boy, thank that. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's very kind. It's the first time attending here and enjoyed the community. Will definitely return. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, and if you are so inclined, you want to subscribe to the channel. We've got all sorts of shows here. This is our Monday night show. Uh, we've got a live uh, interview conversation, uh, like we are talking about, live from the bunker Monday through Thursday at noon central. Uh, Tim has a crew put together for a Doctor Who discussion on Thursday, this coming Thursday, right. called Tartar Sauce. It's uh, Thursday night at 9 p.m. central. And this week, you're in the midst of your discussion about companions... Yeah, it's it's time to talk about Amy and Rory from the uh, from the Eleventh Doctor. If you want to go back in time, you can hear us talking about uh, such such hot button topics as Rose Tyler and why she's <laughs> terrible. Uh, and uh, and tomorrow night we'll have the latest Star Trek news on Triple Bites. And uh, this is uh, you know this this is what we do here. So you know a little bit of welcome. everything all week. So. Yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for thanks for coming by. Yeah, we do appreciate that. And we will be back with another H2O podcast uh, next week. What are we going to talk about? We, we've got a week to figure out what we're going to talk about. Well, and Jason Jason sent me a list of topics. Uh, and uh, a lot of them were, there's a, there were quite a few of them that were definite fun ones to talk about. But yep. Don Bluth, it was kind of like, oh, just talk about Don Bluth. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And hopefully we'll get him on 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 one of our shows and we'll fantastic. see what happens. Love, so. love to talk to him. All right. Thanks very much for uh, everyone being here tonight, participating in the chat. If you are watching in replay, don't forget, you can leave us a comment with your thoughts. And, uh, of course, we do invite uh, feedback through email as well if you want to do that. H2O at sci-fi for me.com. And we will be back. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit the, the uh, thumbs up on the way out. And that'll do it for us tonight. Good night, everyone. Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.